Now, a powerful story to tell of a local woman and what she has managed to create arising from trauma in her life. Uh, This woman from County Sligo was raped back in 1992, a rape for which her attacker was arrested and subsequently jailed. So at the time, she not only had to endure the awful aftermath of a rape, she had to go through the ordeal of giving evidence in the subsequent court case of the Central Criminal Court in Dublin. And due to the overwhelming issues she encountered following the rape, the psychological scars involved, coming to terms with what had happened, attending counselling sessions, this woman felt it was vitally important that local services were available for those in such situations. Uh, as in rape victims. So she, along with a handful of colleagues, went on to form the Sligo Rape Crisis Centre, which recently marked its 30 years in existence. And the woman has always referred to herself as Gone Anam, without name, and Gone Anam she shall remain for the purposes of this interview. Her voice in this interview is disguised, but this is her, as I say, quite powerful story, beginning with how she first met the man who would go on to rape her. I had met this uh actually he was he was quite young he was a teenager um or let's say an older teenager um and I had met him many a time around the streets of Sligo and uh sometimes I'd be walking home from the pub or something at night and I'd bump into him and he was always hanging around on his own and I kind of felt sorry for him um and he seemed very lonely and I was started chatting to him and asking him like you know could he not go home and he seemingly like he didn't want to go home and he seemed like he had a very tough life and he was seemed like a nice young lad but then something changed after other times then months later I bumped into him a few times and something changed in him and he was getting much more aggressive and my instinct was starting to tell me no, he's not. I'm not safe with him anymore. I need to uh, be careful. So his whole his behaviour, he started to become trying to be a bit more physical with me, and I was saying, "No, I'm not interested in that. I'm just chatting to you." So uh, by the time we came to the night in March when he raped me, I already my all my body instincts were already telling me keep away from this guy, and I did try to do that, but I didn't manage to get away. And it was awful. What happened? So basically, I suppose I tried, I was walking home on my own from um, a nightclub, I think, but I couldn't avoid him. And then he he kind of, he just scared me so much. I was so afraid that basically I did everything I was told to do, really, uh, which was something that kept coming up later on in court, like, why didn't you scream? Why didn't you shout? You know, but I knew the area that we were in, there was a lot of old people living around there. So I kind of knew there was no help available anyway. Um, So really, I suppose, I was like that kind of, in that phase of what they call it, fight or flight but I was I knew I couldn't fight him because he was young but he was very strong um, and then he was telling me about other things that he'd done and how he had beaten up this woman and all, and he just got me so terrified that whatever he said I just did it um, and so yeah it wasn't like um, you know something you'd see on TV some big struggle I was just so terrified because I really and I do think he could have killed me like maybe not necessarily 
you know, pre-planned, but he had so much anger in him. And I discovered afterwards he really was a very abused child um, that, yeah, he probably just got lost the head and, and have murdered me easily enough. So I suppose it was my survival instinct to just do what I was told, let him do whatever he wanted to do and stay alive. And and what did you do after an attack like that? I mean, f- faced with the prospect of... Well, I mean, who did you contact? Did you know who to contact? Did you talk to friends, Gardaí? Who, who, who do you go to? I actually lived very near there, but I wasn't going to go back uh, to where I was living. And I, um, I had been out that night with some friends uh, who lived not too far away. So I, in those days, went to, there was no mobile phones, went to the phone box and phoned the house. And, I mean, at this stage, it was very late, kind of the middle of the night. Um, but someone answered the phone. And I can't remember what I said. I probably just started crying. Um, because at that stage, the word rape, probably, I suppose I just kind of didn't really know what was going on. Kind of in a state of shock, I suppose. So it was one of my friends, um, she just kind of said that, you know, you've been raped and I'm going to phone somebody. Well, well, let's move on to court because um, your attacker was subsequently arrested and charged and then there followed, I'm sure, what is a very, very traumatic court case indeed. It was held at the Central Criminal Court Um were you prepared for that? Yeah. And, and I ask that because um, I see in the book you, you, you quote uh, the doubts of your, your mother who, who asked you as you prepared to go to court, what are you going to get out yeah. of it? She asked me, what are you going to get out of it? And I just thought for a second and I said, well, probably just more trauma, which is kind of true. But at the same time, it did feel like it was the right thing to do. Yeah. And, 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 and was it very traumatic giving evidence in court and reliving what happened in in such a public setting? Uh, well, it was a uh, it was public, but it was what they call in camera closed court. So only people involved in the court case could be there. But the whole process from the rape right down to the court case, and even afterwards. Um, like, I had no advocate, interme- intermediary or anybody to support me with liaisoning with the guards or with the, the DPP, the Director of Public Prosecutions. And all I remember is one day the guardie phoned me and asked me to come in and they said, uh, he's going to be arraigned. And I was going, arraigned? What does that mean? I hadn't a clue. <laughs> I didn't know anything about the legal system. And I didn't know whether he was in or out of jail or where he was, or I never knew, um, you know, what was happening with them. Or, um, so there was no kind of communication. And then the court case itself, I remember I had all these images in my head, like I identified with Jesus on the cross. I was identifying with things like Anne Boleyn going for beheading. I had all these feelings and images and like as if I was going to be crucified or something, even though I wasn't the one under threat of being convicted and sent to jail. But it was, um, I was kind of terrified, I suppose, um, and not knowing really what was going to happen. It, it's true to say, is it not, that um, it was only after the court case that some of your problems in your personal life began dealing with the trauma of what happened 
uh, the psychological effects dealing with depression in, in your case. You did go to counselling and seek out counselling, but it, it wasn't something that you found was adequate for your needs. Is that is that correct? I went to, into counselling. Um, I learned over the years that I needed something much more holistic than just counselling. Uh, it's very hard to explain, but there's something about rape and sexual crimes. It's like it gets under your skin uh, somehow. It's very hard to describe. It's not a logical thought process and also a lot of the trauma um, manifests physically uh, as well. It's not just about the thoughts and for me the other thing was um, a lot of the trauma wasn't even just about the event it was like what started happening to me afterwards so typically I suppose what you'd see you know them talking about soldiers coming back from the war and the post-traumatic stress like having nightmares and crying and shaking and totally out of the blue something would happen like all of a sudden I couldn't take off my clothes uh, for like kind of weird, really weird things, or almost having like um, not quite hallucinations, but I just got really weird around sausages, and I think they reminded me of penises or something. And I was just going to vomit every time I saw sausage, like just kind of weird, bizarre stuff. And the the terrible thing is you can't tell anybody what's going on, uh, and my life kind of split into those people who knew which were a small amount of people, and those people who didn't know. So I kind of started almost like a split personality from that point on as well. My life was going... So, you know, there's the outward uh, personality, and then there's the real life, and a handful of people that knew that, and then constantly trying to pretend I was normal when I wasn't normal. And can we fast forward then, I think it was uh, four or five years later... Uh, to numerous meetings, including some in the uh, in the bar in the Silver Swan Hotel in Sligo, where the the genesis of of a rape crisis centre in Sligo locally was founded. You remember that, and how did it come about? So what happened was, um, I suppose, uh, after the court case, even though the guy was convicted, uh, it was the first time I started feeling very suicidal. And I looking back, I think probably what happened was all the pressure that I had been holding down all of a sudden just exploded. Um, the TV and the radio were on and uh, there was a lot on the news at the time. There was 96, yeah, about a big court case from another local family in Sligo about abuse that had happened. And, um, and I was thinking to myself, like, there was you know, they didn't get the help and now they're adults and they still can't get help, you know, because how can they, where are they going for counselling? It's like we were at this stage. Um, and I just thought, oh, okay, I'm just going to set up a rape crisis centre. That's it. My mother had come into the room and she was crying and she was crying about this family um, and what was happening to them and I thought, right, that's it. That's enough. Three of us got together and that was kind of the start of it. So the three of us then uh, spent months um, researching and that was the start of it. Yeah. And here we are 25 years later and it's uh, so well established and has helped so many people down the years. You must take great comfort and satisfaction from that. 
considering what you went through and what services were not available to you at that time? Yeah, it's interesting because it's still not very big on my thought process. I suppose I have um, a thought process that by default tends to be very negative and I'm constantly working on that and constantly trying to approve of myself, I suppose, as they would say, positive affirmations as opposed to constantly criticising myself. Um, So I am trying... I suppose the raising of awareness of the 25 years of the Rape Crisis Centre there, I'm trying to, well, I'm constantly trying to reprogram my pattern of thinking to really appreciate that and what has come out of it. Um, but in the bigger picture, for me, I suppose, it was kind of a pleasant thing to do compared to, for example, going to court. So I don't see it as a big achievement from that point of view but when I do sit back and I think about it I mean hopefully and presumably at some stage someone would have done it but it might have taken a while so at least it it started then so that a lot of other people maybe you know back in the 90s uh, late 90s got help that may not have been there before so yes so I'm quite I am quite happy about that. And I keep trying to remind myself that it is a big achievement and that when I die and leave this planet, that the planet... Oh, I'm going to start crying now. The planet will be better for me. Um, having done that, and that the fact that something so devastating in life that I managed to do, or to start something that was very positive that came out of that, and that has helped a lot of other people. So, just trying to remember that, I suppose. Uh, you're not incredibly proud of, of that, of having achieved that, of having been instrumental in setting it up. Can you not see how important that is and has been? I'm trying to. I suppose I notice over the years that um, I would tell people about other arts projects or things I was involved, but I'd never mention, you know, that I was one of the people involved in or the initiator of the Sligo Rape Crisis Centre because it was probably still even though logically I know I have nothing to be ashamed of there's still a kind of a sense of I don't want people to know that I was a rape victim or that they might kind of put me in that box um, and my mental health deteriorated like a lot over the years since that whole incident. Um, but I am working on, on trying to keep reminding myself to be proud of it. Right, that's the woman who describes herself as uh, gone on him. And um, we'll hear part two of her story on the show tomorrow, how the uh, Sligo Rape Crisis Centre continued to help so many people in, uh, in those situations uh, over uh, 30 years.